Hello, hello. This is Alex Burkett, and you are listening to the Long Game Podcast. This episode is meta, and it's part of a series that we'll be producing called Kitchen Side. This is in addition to our typical long-form interviews that we conduct with experts and thought leaders in the content marketing and business space. Why Kitchen Side? What does that name mean? So one big benefit of running an agency or working at one is that you get to see the kitchen side of many different businesses, their revenue, operations, automations, and their culture, the ups and the downs. You get to understand how things look from the inside and how that differs from the outside perspective. You get to understand, in essence, how the sausage is made. This series is gonna be an open look at how the sausage is made at our company, Omniscient Digital. As an agency ourselves, we're working both on growing our clients' businesses as well as our own. So this podcast is one project, but we also blog, we make videos, we do sales, and we have quite a robust portfolio of automations and hacks that run our business. So we wanna take you behind the curtain to the kitchen side of our business to witness our brainstorms, behind the scenes discussions and internal dialogues behind the public works that we eventually ship. So this episode, the most meta of them all, is a conversation where we will talk about exactly what this podcast is, who we want it to be for, what we want it to be, and how we want to run it. Without further ado, enjoy Kitchen Side, episode number one. Okay, so why don't we start, we're talking about behind the scenes, what goes into creating these podcasts. We're all brand new at this, right? No one's ever. Well, we released one episode, so we can write an ebook and sell a course on it. <laughs> yeah, <now>. totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are officially thought leaders. <laughs> so I want to hear first a little bit about your backgrounds, each of you, and what qualifies you to talk about the topics of content marketing strategy, operations, and all of that. So let's start with that. David, if you want to go first, maybe. Yeah, sure. So my background in content and SEO started in like 20. 13 um started learning seo on my own got my my whole career started off in seo and there was a point when i realized like wait why are people talking about seo and content separately they're like the same like you can't do seo without content and that was so freaking stupid the way people were talking about it but um my first job was pretty much an seo editor it was an internship and from there i learned like technical seo and all that which i i learned but i wasn't super interested in but I got a job at this agency called Single Grain, which uh, the, the CEO at the time had like three different websites or something. And I was helping produce content for, for both sites and just learning how to create good content that people will link to and that people would read and subscribe to. And then after that, I got a job at HubSpot doing content marketing. And that was when I was like, wow, this is, when I joined HubSpot, it was, a lot of new things for me to learn. And also, HubSpot was still trying new things. So I got to learn a lot. We implemented the first very version of the pillar cluster model that a lot of people talk about. And from there, I went from doing blog post content to figuring out how we can do the SEO on like product pages, like comparison pages, more bottom of funnel content that is lower search volume, but it's a different type of SEO. So. It, it's near and dear to my heart, um, not something I do every day uh, because, you know, we, we have people who are smarter than me helping out with that now. But 
it's it's something that I think about a lot because a lot of companies just really suck at it. Yep. So they probably stand out even more now to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Allie, how about you? Um, I started my career in content as a freelance writer. Um, after graduating college in 2016, I worked like a nine to five cubicle gig and it lasted about six months. Um, I always knew I wanted to write. I didn't know how to do that in a business setting. Um, but I loved writing about business and about marketing. I had started a business in college and sold it actually. It was a pretty small gig, but it really gave me the inside scoop of the people that I was writing to. Um, and some of the topics were even relevant to me. And so I started freelance writing and that was kind of my niche was entrepreneurship and marketing. Um, after a couple of years, I was recruited by HubSpot to come in and execute on the pillar cluster model actually. So I was one of the first hires on the pillar team. Um, since then I've specialized more in long form content, um, moved into a little bit of what I like to call creative journalism. So just working on like interviewing folks and turning that into like longer form stories, kind of marrying SEO and thought leadership, even though I, that late, that latter term is pretty overused. Um, but that's, that's kind of my background, how I got to where I am today and working on the content operation side of our mission. So I now hire freelance writers to help execute on our strategy for clients. Um, and I consider that more of my specialty on the team. Awesome. So HubSpot recruited you. Yes, they did. It was a LinkedIn message that I thought was spam. So I ignored it first <laughs> never ignore. and then never ignore. Awesome. All right, Alex, how about you? Uh, in college, I wanted to find a way to stand out. I was studying strategic communications, which is like advertising and PR. And I was reading authors like Ryan Holiday, who at that time had just published Trust Me, I'm Lying and was mainly a blogger. This was before his kind of um, storied career writing about stoicism and all that kind of, you know, bestsellers. And I saw uh, Tim Ferriss's blog and I saw how people were kind of getting attention, just writing about the things that they were learning about. So I decided to do that in college and that kind of made me um, visible for a couple freelance gigs my senior year. So I was freelancing for a couple different com companies like a, an e-commerce uh, ski racing uh, website. And I continued doing the freelance content marketing several years into um, <clears throat> my actual post-college career. But I, I also got my first gig at a tech startup because of my writing capabilities. Um, so the first gig I had was at LawnStarter, which is uh, pre-seed funded. They just finished Techstars, really early stage. I just joined the founders, um, kind of pre-product market fit, building an MVP. And uh, a large part of my job was kind of scrappy SEO content marketing. So <laughs> we would do stuff like, uh, like ego bait listicles. Uh, it's it's a lawn care uh, startup that basically it's like Uber for lawn care. So it, it was operating only in Austin and Washington DC metro area. So uh, local links were hugely important. So we would write content about lawn care just to build up topical authority. But then we would do tons and tons of these like link bait, ego bait things, which were like local flavors of like the best uh, landscaped colleges in the south and we'd always put university of texas at number one and then we'd do all this crazy outreach and link building tactics to get links from local newspapers and like dot edu sites so that was my scrappy education i was doing a bunch of other stuff too then you know customer service and sales and some product work and just like a bunch of like little things um and then i joined cxl 
which uh, it's like a conversion optimization agency. Uh, we launched the CXL Institute when I was there and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I was primarily writing articles uh, on deeply technical topics. So I was writing about experimentation, data science, and uh, predictive analytics. And uh, they were long-form essays, th- three to 5,000 words typically, with images and, and technical diagrams and, and quotes from experts and white papers and stuff like that. So that was like my purest version of content marketing. We didn't look at SEO. We didn't design it based on keywords. We didn't do any of that. We basically wrote about things that uh, customers were asking about or people were talking about at conferences and writing from like a purest technical uh, conversion optimization perspective. So I, I did a lot of other stuff then, but I was always publishing about two articles per week. And that was definitely my primary education in both the technical aspects. So experimentation and data, which I consider one of the pillars of my uh, skill set. Like if I'm a T-shaped marketer, it's probably experimentation and data and then content marketing. And I learned both of those at CXL. Awesome. And then after that, I joined HubSpot. And that's kind of actually when I learned more about the SEO side of things. HubSpot had already built a playbook and a, a machine really uh, with a highly functioning um, SEO team and a high functioning uh, content team. And they fit together uh, like puzzle pieces. And that informed a lot of how I think about content strategy. So at Omniscient, I do growth, uh, work with clients, a little bit of everything, but I, I think my main strengths are tying together uh, technical frameworks, uh, quantitative uh, insights, and um, building those into how we do content strategy. So we've come up with unique frameworks like the content economics, the barbell strategy, yeah. and more, more quant strategic ways of looking at content marketing. And I think that blending of my background is probably how we've come up with those different angles. But I'm, I'm horrible at uh, the basic stuff that most people consider content marketing. Like I'm not uh, very good at uh, grammar uh, and <laughs> stringing sentences together, but I can write a, a deep, deeply technical long form piece on A-B testing. So yeah, that's, that's where my skill set is. Yeah, awesome. So you guys all worked at HubSpot together. What made you come together to form this? Because you might have seen skills in each other. You're like, oh, we'd be perfect if we came together. What did that look like? Alex, you can take that. David and I wanted to get rich. Um, so we're like, all right, we got to build a business. I think both of us had entrepreneurial ambitions forever. I mean, that was my earliest inclination was to be an entrepreneur. And uh, I don't remember who brought up the idea. It, it may have been you, David, um, that you were talking about starting a company. Um, I, I know there was some impetus in, in talking to my old boss at CXL, Pep, Pep Laya. Um, we were at a conference in San Francisco and drinking beer and, and he was telling us how hard it was to hire a content marketer and he was looking into these agencies and they were charging you know x dollars for n number of blog posts and david and i looked at each other and we're like we can we can do that <laughs> so i think that was when the feasibility angle came to the agency i think that you and i had talked about doing a business before but we had never honed in on a specific iteration or a specific way to do business and the agency presented itself because we had both the skills and we just quickly validated the fact that there were people willing to buy and uh, there was a market need. There's a need. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think zooming out too, we both, we both had that desire to create our own businesses and yeah, honestly become wealthy. I remember a couple years back every year I would do this year in review and what I hope to do in the next year. And the bullet item I always had was like build a business and then I would ask myself, like, why do I want to do that? And then the wealth part was, wealth item was part of it. But the other part was, 
like I was doing freelance writing for some some uh, period, and I was like, it's really cool getting to work with new businesses and meet these founders and other marketers and learn about what they're doing and help them out. So it was also kind of scratching an intellectual itch as well of like, it's cool working for one business, but what if I can work with five and learn about what they're all doing and learn things I wouldn't learn from my day job. Um, So that, that was a big selfish part of it. Um, And then I found out that Alex was also doing his own solo consulting and I was doing mine and we were like, why don't we just team up? So like, it's, probably much better to have a partner in all this than trying to go at it alone right and then when did, when did ali come in to the whole mix we met ali at a um a remote retreat in lake tahoe right yeah that was last february 2019 and i think i was sharing some strategy i had for hubspot um i mean y'all knew i was a freelancer too so they brought me on to work on a client at the end of last year, right? Mm. Yeah, uh, Wonderkind. Yes. Mm. I think maybe some listeners might assume that you all know each other because you work together in the same building or something, but obviously you're spread out. Yeah, yeah, we're all in different spots and we were when we initially met at HubSpot. Um, But yeah, in March they brought me on kind of full-ish time as head of content. Yeah, we we actually didn't really meet well, at least I didn't meet you both through doing a job. It was like, I think Alex, you were joining a different team on a marketing team at the time. We but, no, we were on the same team for a little bit, very brief time when we were on Scott's team. Yeah, and then it, we were like, we tangentially spoke to each other, but like we somehow ended up doing this lake house trip together, and like we got to hang out. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had a marketing team kickoff. I was sitting next to Alex, and I leaned over. I was like, "Hey, dude, uh, do you believe in free will?" <laughs> <laughs> and I, do remember that. Yeah. I think that's when the friendship <laughs> started really <laughs> oh, um, and yeah and I think correct me if I'm wrong Alex from the beginning of working all this we were like you know it'd be a cool person to work with Ali Decker mm-hmm. and then we got to work with you for a client but then we were like we got to bring Ali on as a partner at some point and yeah it was completely <laughs> serendipitous and it laddered up step by step <laughs> Because like uh, David and I briefly worked with each other and had hung out a bunch of times at like random retreats and we had crossed paths via like conferences and stuff like that. But then um, Ali, I was in uh, Emerging Leaders with your boss at HubSpot mm-hmm. and we had invited her to the Lake Tahoe thing. And she's like, oh, I'm going to bring Ali too. Um, mm-hmm. And we hadn't met you before then. And I think we were all working on random stuff that week. Um, and I think that cracked open the shell of the idea to work with you with clients. Cause we were just working with, I think our first client at that time, like it was really early and, uh, yeah, we brought you on for, a f- as a freelance writer. And then we're like, Oh, Allie's really good. We should definitely like try to work with her more. <laughs> and it's just kind of like escalated, um, to the point where yeah. we asked yeah. you to, to be a partner as well. That's awesome. So whose idea was it to do a podcast and why? Um, I don't know the initial seed of the idea. I, I've been, I don't know. That's, that's been an itch of mine for a little bit. So I don't know if I like threw it out there. David's probably threw it out there. I'm sure Ali had the idea as well. I think we've all simultaneously kind of thought about doing this. What was appealing to you about a podcast? <sighs> Talking to smart people. Um, something that I did pre pandemic days, uh, was I would go get lunch with people. And, um, cause I never worked in the office at HubSpot. I was always remote. 
So uh, I actually found that to be a strength because uh, you, you sometimes need a little bit of a uh, divergent thinking. And if you're, t if you talk to the same people too often, you get kind of in a bubble or like an echo chamber in terms of ideas. So I didn't have that crutch, that social network, which, you know, it's a downside too, because you don't get as uh, many deep relationships with your coworkers probably. But I would go out and do coffees and lunches with random people um, from different companies in Austin, like big commerce and what, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always loved those. Like it would just be like probing, you know, the other person for what they're working on and what cool ideas they have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I always loved that style of conversation and just learning from smart people. And I figure I want to have those conversations anyway. So let's just record them and put them out there and become better at this actual uh, public speaking and interviewing and conversational thing right. and create this as a form of content as well. And then also we realized that we can use this as kind of a seedling of an idea that we can repurpose to other formats. Right. So we can create this, what we're talking about right now into a blog post. We can put it on social media. We can put YouTube clips out there. And in essence, it's like a, a form of leverage because we don't have to like cre create like new things for each of these channels. We create once and then it reverberates into all these different places. So it's, right. it's an effective mechanism to create more content um, with minimal effort, I guess. Yeah. And I love how, what you said earlier about the name omniscient, you know, it's, this is who we are. It's being transparent with what you're producing and the content you're creating and then sharing that. So it's pretty, cool. we had no intention of that, by the way, yeah. Our, David came up with the name. I don't know how he came up with the name, but uh, as we were putting together the behind the scenes <laughs> ideas, which came completely randomly, I think it was when we wanted to put together the article on uh, uh, how to build a content calendar. And uh, we're like, let's just talk about it. Like, let's, you know, ask us interview yeah. questions and wait, 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 let's record it too. And maybe yeah. we can put it out. And then it's like, wait, we could do this with all of our shit. Like we could yeah. just like show the behind the scenes. And then that got me thinking of the connection between the word omniscient, which is like kind of all seeing, all knowing. And like the fact that we're kind of opening the curtain to all of this stuff too. It's right. like, you can be omniscient about, uh, I guess like what we're working on. Yeah, so we should come up with a clever way to, to brand that. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. yeah so I think, who is I think the podcast too, it was like, well, there's the business side, there's a the personal side, and then there's the, well, people reach out to us to ask us for advice and stuff. Why can we just record this and talk to other smart people and share advice yeah. and scale that out? Right. Um, like I've been thinking about this concept of like every person is now a media company um, in terms of entrepreneurship. And even if you don't want to start a business, the fact that people are posting stuff on Twitter, getting followers, posting stuff on Instagram, getting followers, like people want to hear what other people say. Um, yeah. And I, I get messages and LinkedIn requests and I'm like, I can't talk to all of you um, <laughs> as much as I'd want to. Um, so this is just one way to, to kind of scale that out. Yeah, it's awesome. So who is this podcast for the long game? Who are you trying to help? I honestly don't think we've talked about this. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear what y'all say. I can start. Um, I think a lot of, this might be deeper than expected, but I think a lot of media nowadays creates this perception of like short-term wins or like hacks and tactics and tips to do things immediately. But a lot of things are just about doing something for a sustained amount of time and doing it for a long time. Like a lot of businesses fail because they do something unsustainable and they run out of runway um, or they just give up or folks want to start a business. They're like, they give up. But if you can just last long enough to survive long enough and outlast other businesses that, that don't last that long, then 
I think there's a good chance of survival. Like maybe you won't become the next billion dollar company, but you'll be a successful entrepreneur if you go at it long enough. And I think the the hacks and tactics kind of overshadow that story and the effort of how long it takes to to build something. Mm-hmm. And that can apply to both business and like personal projects and things like that. So that I selfishly want to learn about the stories and also kind of shift the frame framing of how people think about these things into more of like, it's okay to take a long time to build things out. And in fact, that's how a lot of things work out. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot. I, I, I also, I think I've framed it more from who we don't want to build this for. Um, I had a conversation earlier today um, with, with a marketer and content writer who was uh, asking about um, kind of like, you know, everything's moving so fast in this digital marketing world. What do I need to learn? What, what courses do I need to take? Like, how do I keep up? And I think that's such a, a rat race. It's so, there's always new tactics and takeaways and tips and tricks and a thousand things you can do. But then there's these underlying kind of like fundamentals uh, that David kind of alluded to, which you do over time. Uh, it's not sexy stuff. And it, eventually you get success. Like it's not a survivorship bias thing. Actually, I think David Cadaby, uh, who we had on the podcast, not released yet, uh, had a tweet about survivorship bias. Um, being not a thing if you play the long game or something like that i can't remember the exact tweet but it's interesting like on on a long enough time scale if you're playing the right game then survivorship bias doesn't matter it's like you're going to get that one win so i think we wanted to do the long game the podcast name means a lot it's something that uh we pulled from a naval ravikant tweet one of my favorite quotes actually is uh play long-term games with long-term people because compounding interest is everything so i think it's kind of a reminder to ourselves more than anything to like not take our eye off the ball, not uh, get shiny object syndrome and just continue plugging through and like putting out great work. But uh, back to my original thing of who I don't want it to be for. It's like the, the person who goes to a conference and um, like maybe flits in for a couple uh, sessions, uh, you know, mindlessly kind of pays attention a little bit and then goes back to the hotel room and skips the after party and the networking and all of that stuff. It's like the um, misses the forest for the trees type of person who says like, oh, what's the executive summary? It's like, that's not the point. <laughs> you know, the, the people who are in it for the experience. And then you, you actually find out that if you stay for the after party, if you stay for the conference happy hour, that's where all the insights are actually shared anyway. Like nobody's giving you the fucking top three takeaways that act, like those are all known. They're all over the internet. They're all over blog posts. Mm-hmm. You can learn about that anywhere we want to get to the underlying stuff. We want to have those conversations that are a little bit more comfortable after a couple of drinks and the kind that flourish after you're a little more comfortable with each other. So I think we don't want the people who are like, Oh, give me the takeaways. It's such a, I don't know, go listen to two X yeah. speed, like some 20 minute podcast or something. If you want that. <laughs> yeah, totally makes sense. Gosh, I, I had something I was going to say and then you guys talked and I was like, yes. Um, a couple of things come to mind for me, just like quotes and articles I've read. There's one by Steph Smith and she says, you know, how to be great. It's to be good repeatedly. So that's seconding, you know, what David said about the long game and how it's not pretty and it's not fun. Um, and then something else that comes to mind more in terms of writing is like 80% of the ideas you have come after you start the essay and so like I have and that's more obviously specific to a writing project but it comes to mind in this case too because like coming from my perspective from such a type a like 
I come from a very perfectionist like background. Like I was a very good student. And sometimes I regret having that background because it makes me want to be always good, always on making always pretty stuff. And like, that's not where the learning is. That's not where um, the takeaways are. Like, that's not where the connection is, you know, like not in the conference sessions, it's afterwards. Right. And I mean, I found that even when we have conversations, like the good stuff comes after like a little bit of talking. And I just feel like the conversations we're going to have on the podcast are the nitty gritty stuff, you know, understanding not how people are being successful, but how they got to the part where they trusted themselves. They got comfortable in the uncomfortable. They worked through the weeds to maybe come out the other side. And it took a long time to do all of that. And I'm ready for more. I don't want to like throw around the word authentic because I feel like that's also very overused, but just the real shit, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much out there. Like if I see one more hack, I mean, no. <laughs> so I'm excited that we're all pretty aligned on this. I almost, yeah, Ali, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, Ali touched on something that I think is important. Like this idea of cutting, cutting off our perfectionism short and shipping and just getting things out yeah. the door is something so I've also hard. been working on for, for years. Yeah. And well, that's one I've of told, our values. Yeah. I've told Alex multiple times, like, Hey dude, call me out. If it ever feels like I'm dragging my heels or I'm just taking forever to get something out. And it's, it's even something I'm trying to do like in my, my job at Fishtown analytics, like it's a series B startup. How do I keep shipping and not try to perfect things? Cause there's always going to be tons to do. It's what I'm pushing myself to be more comfortable with for this podcast. Like, Maybe the first one, I want to change the intro music and remove four bars and add four bars at the end, but who the fuck cares? Let's just ship it out mm-hmm. and get feedback and see how we feel about it. And like, even with the webinars we've been doing, like before I would have been like, we need to have an agenda. We need Uh-oh. learning experience and the long game is being comfortable knowing that doing something wrong or not perfectly doesn't mean that it's bad it just yeah that's how you learn there's a saying Amen. fail fast fail forward something like that um, I, I almost wanted to call the podcast the sandbox by the way this is a thought that oh. i've had like over the past like couple months because like i'm getting back into guitar and i'm like all right i gotta use the old band name that i used to use and if i come up with an album it's going to be called sandbox or something like that because it's like experimental so i can like do whatever the fuck i want make whatever sounds it's not like a genre defined thing but then also i'm just playing it's like a cool thing you know um and it kind of demystifies and makes it less serious uh, I think the long game works actually a lot better because of the theme we're going for with like repeated iteration and success. Right. It's not necessarily just fun and all experimental. We're not like going off in many different directions, but it still includes that word game, which I like. It's all a game. Like it's, you know, we don't have to take it so seriously, but uh, over the long term, over the long game, we can iterate and experiment and just ship a lot. And that's, that's kind of the ethos that we're going for. Yeah. But also David, you haven't written your article for the uh, thought leadership this month. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm my heels. Um, all right. So what kind of guests are you excited to have on? Like, who are you excited to talk about or talk to? What kind of people? I want to talk to people that like, people don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that obviously people become popular and famous and well known for a reason. They're valuable. They've got stuff to say. Um, but I don't know. I feel like the folks who aren't as very well known, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. They've got just as much to share because they're creating just as much like in private as they are in public and they're still going and pushing forward. And just because they're not known yet doesn't mean that they're 
you know, not valuable. Yeah, that they still have value to give. Mm-hmm. I think I mostly care about uh, passion. That's my number one. That's actually probably my number one criteria for like people I hang out with in general is like people who have a spark of energy. Um, and I like contrarians. It doesn't, you don't have to be like a, an annoying contrarian where everything you think is like against the mob or whatever. But I like people who think differently. Um, to give just examples of the conversations we've already had, I think Tommy and David Cadaby, like they are clearly passionate about their mm-hmm. ideas and they have unique ideas. Like they've clearly thought about some things from first principles and come to their own conclusions. And I think those are the conversations that are most interesting to have. Cause it's like also the idea itself is interesting, but how the hell did you come up with that? Like, what are your, yeah. what's your background? Like, how did you get here? I think that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, a couple years ago, I, remember speaking to my manager at the time, his name was Brian Balfour. And I would, every conversation I had with him was about like career development and professional development and how to like get better at my job and everything. And he pointed out at one point, he was like, seems like you're really trying to rush this process and like get really good and everything, which is great, but it's okay to zoom out and just do the job for like a couple months and then reflect back. And the, the thing that tied, tied the knot on that was like, he said, yeah, like all these people that you probably look up to in, in tech or like the marketers and stuff, it comes in waves. Like this wave of folks that you pay attention to all know each other. You're going to be part of one wave. Like maybe it's not this next one. Maybe a couple of years later, you're going to be part of a wave where, you know, this certain group of folks that are all of a sudden getting all this attention and like want are like getting consulting gigs and all that. And that was really interesting to, to me because I was like, how do I find more of those people in that wave or like talk to the people like that are on an, a, the wave in front of me that are about to get really well-known or something and like right. get to learn from them before everyone wants to talk to them. So the, mm-hmm. I want to talk to people who both, I guess are on the same wave as us and people who are maybe like one or two waves ahead who like maybe David Cadavy is a couple waves ahead, but that that's been a really helpful framework for me to feel like just put into time, like this wave is barely forming for us. It's not going to crest yet, but it's on the way there. Um, so it's, it's been a helpful narrative. But if, if I had to name a name, one of the folks I've followed over the years is someone I used to work with at Single Grain, Eric Sue. But I'd say he's really well known in marketing. But like, I, I don't know how, to the extent what, what, what his reach is, but it's been interesting following his long game from sitting in a room with him whiteboarding his whole strategy and now seeing over the last three to five years, all of that come to fruition. And like this dude had a game plan and he trusted the process and I'm hoping to learn and like model that. Um, and I want to dig into that with him a bit more and just understand his like mental models for all of that. Yeah, for sure. So what are some takeaways that you would <clears throat> hope that your listeners would take away from each podcast? Like, what do you really want um, people to walk away with after listening? Um, I would say confidence in themselves. Sounds a little simplistic given how tactical we can get. Um, But the truth is like, I don't really expect anybody to master a skill after 45 minutes of our podcast. Like that's, first of all, not the purpose. Like we're not again, giving hacks, giving tricks, like that's just not how you become good at anything. But I would love to 
instill a bit of like, you know, I'm in my lane. If I'm in my lane, there's not any traffic, you know, like I'm doing what I need to do and talking or listening to these folks talk and understand, you know, the behind the scenes stuff that happens and those after conference conversations that happen. Um, not only can I hear them here, but I'm going to go seek out those behind the scenes conversations of my own because that's where I know the real education and inspiration happens. Um, just creating a new wave of like educational norms, you know, telling people like it's going to be a lot harder before it gets easier. And that's means it's working. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, that I know that's a pretty big takeaway, but that's what I hope at least I can help. I like it. There's that feeling after a good conversation with a friend uh, where it's like, sparks are flying and ideas are flying and you're just excited to get started on whatever you're talking mm -hmm. about. If I could give that feeling away, that would be epic. I don't know if that's possible, but other than that, I, sorry, what's that? Inspiration basically. Yeah. Inspiration, but a driving force behind it. Like your, your eyes are brighter and you're just fucking ready to go. I love that feeling. Um, I actually miss that. Like the, the pandemic has made it more difficult to find those serendipitous conversations you can do it over Zoom. It's not the same though. Um, but yeah, I think that feeling, if I could bottle it up, I love that one. But other than that, I think the best we can hope for on a feasible level is to be a sort of like in intellectual buffet of sorts where like you can come dabble in and try a bunch of different things and like maybe you'll come away with an idea from a certain podcast and like go dive in further. Maybe you uh, find out about a guest who you didn't know before and you like, you know, dive into their work. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a, good, a good starting point. I don't, I don't think you're going to, yeah, like Ali said, you're not going to learn how to build a content roadmap from a podcast, but we may do a podcast about that and that leads you down the path where you, you seek your own expertise. So I guess it is kind of inspiration either way. Yeah, for sure. Plant the seed and then you can run with it. Mm -hmm. So the first podcast was officially launched yesterday. How did that feel? And where do you hope to be? This is a two-part question. Where do you hope to be? by podcast number 100, like as a business, individually. It, it was it, wild to see it on yeah. uh, Spotify. It's amazing, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. cool. I sent, it, cool. I sent it to my girlfriend, I sent it to some of my closest friends, and I was like, this is, this is cool. Like, it was, it's easier than people would think to get a podcast mm -hmm. up, but just seeing it up and live and knowing that we got over that hump was, it felt pretty good. And knowing that we got your help with it, Carissa, was, like amazing. I think mm -hmm. we dragged our feet on it for a while. So <laughs> it was cool to get your catalyzing force behind yeah, it. Mm -hmm. It was fun. It's podcast launch day. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, like, it's hard to say in terms of metrics where I'd want us to be on episode 100. But one way I think about it is if I could have like a handful of folks reaching out and being like, hey, listening to this podcast really helped me yeah. reframe how I think about what I'm doing in my career and my work that that'd be helpful like kind of going back to the main takeaway is if if folks understand that a lot of this the long game is mindset it's not about doing like a bunch of hacks it's like trusting that a lot of this is just designed to change the way you work versus like what the actual work is sometimes like yeah and thinking about it in a long term is going to be a big thing and then the other one is trusting the process like have confidence and trust in the process do the foundational work and if you're putting in that work it's it's going to come like you're you're on that wave and you just got to ride it and you can try to do some hacky stuff but that's like 
trying to play the lottery and hoping that one, that next hack will be the one that gets yeah. you like what you want, which maybe it's a barbell strategy. You focus 80% of your energy on the foundational stuff, 20% trying to do these hacky things, but mm -hmm. really trust the process. And yeah. if folks can say, you've helped me feel better about that and like be more patient, I think I'd, I'd feel pretty good. But relating it to a lottery, it reminded me of this weird analogy I heard that, um, and I'm in no way like enabling gambling or anything, but it's like, when you talk about hacks and stuff, I envision someone walking and pulling the slot, like one slot machine at a time. But honestly, like you're more likely to win if you sit and you pull the same thing over and over again. I don't know a lot about the math behind gambling, but that's what it reminds me of is like, there's so much like boring ugly hard like so much stuff that needs to happen that's just part of the process and seeing all these quick wins online especially now more so than ever that people's success is more public than ever people are building in public like that's all amazing but it can leave you at the end of the day feeling like you've crossed the line from inspiration into intimidation and i just hope that like in 100 days like not only do i feel more confident in myself because that's something that i'm still working on but our network as a team is stronger and we've encouraged and inspired way more people than we are today. Like positive feedback, great anecdotes, great stories. Like that's what I hope comes from this. Awesome. Just want to uh, nerd explain something real quick. There is a, a methodology by which you can optimize your slot machine pulling. I don't know anything be, about <laughs> slot machines. I just remind me of the multi-armed <laughs> bandit problem. So it's a, a whole literature there. Anyway. I don't know. Did I pick the wrong <laughs> analogy? <laughs> No, yours still worked. I mean, the multi-arm band, it's a, a, an analogy too. But anyway. Okay. Like but isn't the, yeah. the multi-arm bandit, like you pull a bunch of levers and when you see one lever is working more, you focus more on that lever. But it's that, a reinforcement learning and it assumes that all of the, the multi-armed bandits, the slot machines, have different distributions of uh, rewards and outputs. And your goal is to find the one that gives you the most rewards on an expected value basis. So you don't know anything. You have imperfect knowledge uh, when you're going in. So you pull a broad variety of all of them. And then as one starts to give you more rewards, you say, all right, this is probably, this is looking good. So you start to distribute your effort, your inputs to pulling that arm more. And then things could change. Like maybe you see like this other one is actually giving you a lot of rewards too. So it's like a reinforcement learning, machine learning type I of thing. I live in Vegas but... and I've never done that. Let's scrap my analogy. <laughs> no, your analogy is great. <laughs> so <laughs> you're saying of... depth versus breadth. <laughs> let's do our next team outing in Vegas. Yeah, let's do a <laughs> Vegas budget and we'll yeah. start playing the slots. <laughs> yeah. I've actually never that's basically what been I was to Vegas. Really? So I haven't either, so... Oh, we should do that actually then. Yeah, we'll no we'll throw a, a Hunter S. Thompson-esque uh, remote <laughs> retreat. Just kidding. We won't do that. But uh, my goals are similar to um, your goals that you've mentioned, but uh, I don't have any quantitative goals. Um, I would like to uh, influence some people and uh, stop saying uh and um and like. That's <laughs> by, by podcast number 100. That's my goal. I would be happy with getting to podcast number 100 because that means yeah. we have not given up. I put uh, in our Google Drive folder 001 and 002 to imply that we will eventually like be that. in the three figures. So that's how I number stuff. Maybe it should be 0001. <laughs> <laughs> to the thousands. My God. Just kidding. The next like Rogan or something. <laughs> I can't wait to play these back like at hopefully episode 100.
Oh. And then you listen back it's at what you It's going to be shocking and embarrassing. And yeah. hopefully, I mean, that's what we want is it to be oh, yeah. something we look back on and say, oh, can't believe that was us. So far. <laughs> it's a good thing. Awesome. Anything else you want to add about this podcast for the listeners? Anything else you want to share? Let's try it out. You don't have to listen to every episode. If one looks good, try it. If you don't like it, try another one. <laughs> Basically, try them all. You can do whatever you want, you know? <laughs> you don't have to follow us for everything. <laughs> <laughs>